Welcome to Operation Climate, a podcast made by young people for young people, where we break down environmental issues through conversations with cool people. Welcome to Operation Climate. My name is Marissa Sims. My name is Charlotte Cadell. And we will be your hosts for this episode of Operation Climate. In the last episode, we talked about barriers to climate education and how to create a good environmental education program. In this episode, we're going to be diving deeper into the reality of environmental education in public schools. Charlotte, what was environmental education like in your high school? We did learn about the environment and climate change, but I do think it could have been better. Definitely. I think that's how most high school and college students feel as well. I'm very curious about the context surrounding environmental education. Why is this problem so widespread? Who is working to improve environmental education and what obstacles are they facing? In this episode, we will be digging into the state of environmental education in North Carolina public schools. We will have some amazing guests on the show today to help us understand this situation. We'll be talking to Blake Touche from the National Center for Science Education and Aaron Carroll and Emma Ruffem from Durham Public Schools. To start off this episode, we will be continuing last episode's conversation with Blake Touchet to get a big picture view on environmental education standards and implementation on a national level. I'm Blake Tuchet, and uh, I currently work for the National Center for Science Education. So I'm the teacher support partnership specialist. So I work with school districts to, you know, train science teachers on uh, new ways of teaching science and particularly help them teach those quote unquote controversial issues uh, like climate change and evolution. Can you describe the impact that state standards have on education? State standards pretty much control everything in education. So they say, here is what needs to be taught, you know, for this grade level or for this content area. So if a state adopts standards that directly address climate change, then it will be addressed by the majority of teachers. And what we've seen with the adoption of the next generation science standards uh, or standards that are based on the next generation science standards, um, which have been adopted in, I think, 46 states and in the District of Columbia, the, the NGSS do have standards directly addressing climate change uh, in all grade bands, elementary, middle school, and high school. So that's been a huge, uh, huge game changer. You know, we have these standards that directly address climate change in a really good way, and states are adopting them, training their teachers on how to use them. That has been a, a really big thing. Who enforces these standards in the classroom? And if a state does not have climate standards in place, can teachers still promote climate education? You know, one of the subtopics the, that I researched, who's holding teachers accountable? Um, are administrators doing that? So uh, it, it is the role of the administrator to make sure that the teacher is fully covering all of the standards that they should be teaching in the year. The problem is that the overwhelming majority of administrators were not science teachers before they were administrators. Uh, they might have been English teachers or math teachers or coaches. So Part of, you know, making sure that this is all taught appropriately and and thoroughly, some of that responsibility falls on the science teachers themselves, um, making sure that they have sought out professional development and they've learned as much as they can on what to teach and how to teach it, but also educating their administrators. Um, So if they go and talk to their administrators and say, here's how you read the science standards, Here's the content that's included in the science standards. And this is what all of the science teachers should be teaching. 
that's a huge help um, because it is the role of the administrator to hold teachers accountable. In states that don't have specific climate change standards, the answer is yes, there is absolutely ways that teachers can work in climate change. So if they're teaching a unit about ecology, um, they can, you know, view climate change from that perspective. Um, if they're teaching earth science or environmental science, there are lots of opportunities to work in climate change. And really in, in any environmental science course, climate change should be anchoring the entire year. It should be, you know, the touchstone that you go back to when you talk about every other aspect of environmental science. So there are ways that teachers who don't have climate change standards can still address it. It's really about do those teachers have the support that they need? Uh, do they have the, the training that they need? Do they have the, the resources available to them? And do they have the content knowledge? So that's that's a big issue. How often are these state standards updated and how are you able to keep this information current? So in every state, it's a little bit different. Usually between five and 10 years, uh, every state will at least look at the standards uh, and see if they need revision or adopting a full new set. It's hard to make sure that science standards are up to date because, you know, science is always changing. We're making new discoveries. We're, we're finding new ways to look at things. Uh, technology is always increasing. Uh, so we want our students to learn the best, most up-to-date up science as, as possible. But we also have to think about the teacher's side of this. So it takes it a while. It takes a couple of years after the standards are adopted for teachers to, to really immerse themselves in those standards, find curriculum that's aligned to that standards, or write the curriculum themselves, figure out what the best way to teach these standards are. So if you're adopting too frequently, by the time a, a teacher gets really good at, at figuring out those standards and learning how to teach them, it's changing again already. There are ways that teachers can get around this if standards are adopted every 10 years. It might take a year or two for a teacher to become proficient in those standards. And then when a new innovation or, or a new discovery or some new data like an IPCC report comes in, teachers can bring those in as supplementary materials. So there are ways in bringing those new things in, tying them to the standards that already exist and making sure that students are still staying up to date. How much of a role do politics play in the establishment of curriculum? Has the current state of politics furthered the politicization of science standards? I think the biggest thing is that, you know, teachers and administrators and, and parents should be aware of how that process works, the state standards adoption process. Um, and there are opportunities for uh, the public to give feedback on the standards. So the committee will write a draft and then put it up for public comment, and then they'll, they'll revise them and then put it up for comment again. You know, if we have students or parents that are really concerned about getting accurate climate change education into the standards, that's their opportunity uh, to have their voice heard. Politics plays, plays a huge role in the adoption of science standards and, and all standard, all content area standards. So there's no national curriculum. So in the United States, each state decides what standards they're going to adopt. Um, and then once the standards are adopted, then local schools and districts kind of choose the curriculum that they think would be most appropriate at teaching those standards that the state had adopted. On those state standards adoption committees, um, you'll see a wide variety of, of people. Um, so you may see some, some politicians, 
but you'll also see teachers and administrators and university faculty. But you'll also see, you know, lobbyist groups that are putting pressure on politicians that will then vote to either approve and adopt the standards that were written by the committee or to deny the standards or send them back for more revisions. So Texas, for instance, just had their social studies standards up for adoption. Uh, and NCSE was working closely with another nonprofit organization, the Texas Freedom Network, which monitors standards uh, about science and, and social studies, particularly about climate change. So we were trying to help advise the committee on, okay, here are the standards that we're looking at now. What are some ways that we can add in more climate change or make this standard connect to climate or environmental issues so that students are getting a really well-rounded um, education about the topic? So we, we help to advise them, and there are lots of places in the social studies curriculum where climate change standards would be appropriate. So looking at economics and, and looking at, uh, you know, demography, you know, like human population shifts and looking at policy analysis, but Texas decided that they were just going to pause their state standards adoption and put it off for a few more years, not because of the climate change issues, but because of some of the race issues that, that came up in the, the revision process in the standards. So there's a big CRT scare right now, which I'm sure you and, and everyone else is aware of. So because some politicians were concerned that the standards were leaning too far to what they perceive critical race theory to be, even though it was no, nowhere near, you know, actual critical race theory, they just tabled it. So that means that the social study standards are not going to get adopted and they're not going to look at them for another few years. So yeah, politics does play a big role in, in what gets through. Do you think there should be a national standard for the science curriculum? That's a big question. Um, and I'm sure lots of people have a lot of opinions on that. The way that our constitution lays it out, um, it is state controlled. So education is controlled by the states. I think that if there were national guidelines, that would probably be very helpful. However, each state is is unique. Each state has their own, you know, local issues that, that they should be focusing on. And, you know, if, if we were to say, here's one curriculum and everybody should be learning it, that could potentially lead to some issues. Uh, and we would see the same issues again, where politicians would be influencing that national curriculum. And then there would be even less that local communities could do to get in topics that are really important to them. Science-related issues, I think, really should be locally focused whenever you students are learning about them. How can students support comprehensive climate education? So being aware of when your state is adopting new science standards, that would be really important. And when your state is in that adoption process, make sure you're leaving public feedback. Um, make sure that you're calling or emailing your representatives to say, I do want comprehensive climate change in the standards. Thank you so much, Blake, for giving us a national perspective on this state of climate education. Now we're going to take a closer look at what is actually happening in terms of environmental education in public schools. We will be talking to Aaron Carroll and Emma Rivem to learn more about how Durham Public Schools is implementing environmental education into their curriculum.
Hi, um, my name is Erin Carroll. I am the district's outdoor learning specialist. Um, so this position started last August, which would be August 2021. And my role is really about building capacity in teachers and taking their students outside. So whether that's through field trips or partnerships with the community or taking them outside um, in their everyday curriculum and classes. Hi, I'm Emma Ravem. I work for Durham Public Schools as the grades 6 through 12 science specialist. My role is to help teachers find curriculum and support them in using new things or using things we already have. My experience as a teacher is I taught in Durham Public Schools as an earth science and environmental science teacher. Um, so a lot of the work that I'm doing is supporting earth and environmental science teachers to get up-to-date curriculum um, and work with community partners to develop curriculum for that course as well. I could talk about that later, but that's some of the stuff that I do. So to get a better sense for the idea of the state of the current climate education policies in North Carolina, what are the current city and state regulations for climate education, if there are any? You know, I don't know if there are regulations. I mean, I would say there are definitely standards in earth science class and there's standards in AP environmental, both of which are courses that complete the graduation requirement for science so that all students have to take in earth science to graduate. So. Technically, in high school, all students should have seen something about climate education in their courses. However, these courses are not tested, so we don't have really a way of regulating what every student in every district in North Carolina actually is being taught around those standards. So how exactly is environmental education incorporated into and outside the classroom in the Durham Public Schools? I'm biased because I taught earth and environmental science. It's really easy to take a class outside. It's really easy to teach about. In the high school level, there's explicit environmental science components. In the middle school level, the way that the content works is that each school year, um, students see physical sciences, life sciences, and earth sciences every year. So by the time they get to eighth grade, they're dealing with environmental problems like uh, water quality. So as for my view as the secondary specialist, um, helping those middle school science teachers who may be more comfortable with a different area to incorporate the environmental standards at the time of year that's appropriate is one thing. And then in high school, there's just explicit classes, earth and environmental science, that we have a lot of materials for going outside. A lot of previous teachers have given us activities for, you know, looking at the watershed. Um, we're really close to RTP, so we get a lot of connections from UNC, from NC State, from Duke, from other entities that give us cool professional development opportunities so that we can make more exciting activities and take kids outside. And then I think also we've been really privileged that our district has a value just going outside and connecting with the environment. They've really kind of invested in this. We have um, outdoor classrooms going in at all of our schools um, so students and teachers can be more comfortable going outside. Um, and that just leads to a more kind of integrated approach. So it's not just science being taught, but, you know, we can really see like the math and the literacy connections and our social studies connections. And then we have our own outdoor learning center um, at our DPS hub farm. So students can come on field trips and do things that might not be available at their own campuses, but are still within their own community. So do local politics influence the way climate change related topics are taught in Durham? And do policies in other districts influence the climate education in Durham? 
In Durham, we have to teach what the state says. I would characterize what we do as going beyond what the state requires. um, And that's our vision. So when we're thinking about what do we want for our teachers, we're thinking about, okay, so technically they need to learn like about the heat island effect. They need to learn about natural causes of climate change, meaning like El Nino. And then they also need to learn about human causes of climate change um, and then impacts on ecosystems. So what areas can we expand our curriculum? So we have done a whole set of case studies, for example, this year that explore extreme heat, one of the impacts of climate change that can be more directly felt by students. They go outside on a very hot day and they think, wow, there's so many more hot days this summer. And it's like that meme that's like, well, this is the coldest summer of the rest of your life. So hopefully we're trying to help students by relating to them and teaching concepts that are really relatable. However, they're kind of depressing. And the forefront of climate science is a really kind of sad thing to keep talking about. But I think what we really want is our students to engage in that and to learn that starting in high school so that hopefully they can find their interest and then keep going. I guess for politics, we don't get a lot of pushback. We don't get a lot of pushback from that. Um, in our community, people are really supportive of our work to continue climate education. And at the district level, I've received absolutely no pushback from anybody in the district. There might be some parents or something that might be a little bit concerned, but they haven't brought it to the school board yet. So I'm, I'm thinking we're doing okay. I know you said you didn't experience any political barriers, but have either of you experienced any barriers of any kind to successful sustainability education? And how have you overcome these barriers? I can talk a little bit to that. Um, For me, I technically work with K-12 educators. I do a lot with elementary at the moment because I do think that an important piece of the climate um, education is that we need to build a connection to nature so that people are interested in learning and acting um, for and with nature, right? Um, And so we do a lot of that at the elementary Um, just because that's kind of the developmental stage that they're at. And we found that there's a lot of enthusiasm for going outside and teaching outside, but it is a philosophical kind of like mind shift, right? Like we've all been brought up taking classes inside the classroom, sitting at desks, taking these kind of paper and pencil, doing worksheets and the standardized tests. And so it's just a shift. Luckily, there's, there's one that people are interested in learning about. It's just it's a process. So it's not one that that happens overnight. Yeah, I would agree about the barriers for what we kind of receive is just teachers willingness to go a little bit outside of the box and also just having tested areas where people are a little bit more resistant to go a little bit outside of those standards in courses that they really want to get through all the standards and get to that test. Sounds like you're doing a lot to get kids outside, but are there any goals that you're striving towards in terms of climate education? I think that my personal goal is to make the climate education more robust in the lower levels of earth and environmental science, because AP environmental science is a place where a lot of our higher level students take that as their graduation credit. And there is a robust amount of materials for teaching climate. There's a It's a really big part of the standards. Um, and I know it's regularly tested, so it's kind of easy to see that these students are learning that. 
but I think that we could do a lot more work at our ninth grade level with our earth and environmental science classes to get students engaged in more um, real world applications and seeing the impacts of climate change and maybe participating in things like the Youth Climate Summit at the Museum of Life and Science. Um, I know there are environmental clubs, but having them more directly connected to curriculum connections so that all levels of students can be exposed to interesting, real world, problem based, I don't know, project based, all the good stuff. I want our all levels of our students to get really good educational experiences about climate change. I know when I taught it in AP Environmental Science, Everyone might not identify as a science person. And some people might come into a science class sort of checked out because they more are interested in the human aspect of something or history. And so climate change, it's really easy to connect that to environmental justice issues that I think can engage students who may not see themselves as science people, but who may be able to engage in that human side. So just building out those materials so that those students can also engage in climate education is one of my goals. All right. And for our final question, what can Duke as an institution and ourselves as college students do to help you reach these goals? I mean, we have partnered with some Duke professors to make this extreme heat curriculum or just kind of brainstorm the ideas. So I think continuing to engage with when we reach out, like searching for partners, just engaging in that. One of the master's courses did some videos about tree coverage in Durham and heat island effects sort of, but also like redlining. And that was just a project for their class. But the products that they made in that class are something that we can now use. We can use those videos that were their class projects to then show students. So you all in your classes making your projects, like thinking beyond just turning it in and thinking beyond me getting the grade for this, how can this product that I spent so much time on in my course, how can that be applicable and how can we share that out with education? You know, we have students who uh, y'all were in a similar place just a few years ago, right? And so they're probably looking up to you. So just this kind of mentoring and showing them also this connection between youth and what steps they can take in the climate movement and also just where, you know, what they're learning in school, why it's applicable and important. So that's kind of what comes to mind is just that connection between our students and y'all who are so close. Thank you, Emma and Erin, for showing us how climate education is implemented in Durham Public Schools. From the interviews, we learned that environmental education standards are present and teachers are touching on climate change in the classroom. However, there is still room for improvement in the state standards, curriculum, and education on the real-world impacts of climate change. So what can you do about this issue? The best way to make an impact is to use your voice. Speak up and let your perspective be heard. Whether it's in your classroom, your local community, or on a national level, your voice can make a difference for climate education. Thank you for listening to this episode of Operation Climate. We hope you enjoyed learning about the state of environmental education and what we can do to improve climate education in classrooms. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Operation Climate. Make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else that you find your podcasts in order to stay updated about future episodes. Visit our website at bit.ly slash Operation Climate Podcast for a full transcript of this episode and for more information and links that you can explore to learn more about this topic that we covered today. Follow us on our socials. We are at Operation Climate on Instagram. And lastly, we want to hear from you. So write a review on Apple Podcasts 
That would help us so much. And send us your feedback and your messages through our website. Email us. You can DM us on Instagram. You can fill out our feedback form, which is on our website. And if you're a student listening to this podcast, head to our website to fill out our student stories form to get the chance to have your story and voice featured on a future episode of Operation Climate. Thanks so much, and we hope you join us next time. See ya.